0: Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, from the sermon series, God on Film, spoken by Pastor Sunita Pantone. So, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, which means there's going to be a Part 2. It is the seventh in the Mission Impossible series, and here we see um, that uh, Ethan Hunt, played by Tom Cruise, is an is a agent in IMF, the Impossible Mission Force. And we're figuring out here that he is trying to navigate what it has been like for him as an agent. And now he has a new mission. There is a rogue uh, AI called the entity in the world that superpowers are trying to control. However, the AI can be manipulated by a key that's been split into two halves. And Ethan and his team need to find and obtain both of those halves of the key and then eventually discern its purpose. Now, the key only matters if IMF can figure out where it goes and how to use it. Different characters have either one of the halves of the key or they have different pieces of information for its use. And so Ethan's nemesis, Gabriel, is one of the reasons that Ethan is actually a field agent to begin with, and we see him come back in this series, that he's heartless and cruel, and Gabriel wants to see the world destroyed, but before so, he wants to cause as much destruction and pain as possible. You see, Gabriel, he works for AI, and he's trying to get the key so that no one else can control it. The world would collapse if it is overtaken by an out-of-control computer program. The movie is about good versus evil, but part of the problem is that it's unclear who, um, who each other is, which side people are on. What is certain is that AI wants to destroy the world. It wants power and control. It wants dominance, and its end is destruction. And so countries are battling for it because they know what it means for them. They don't want it for good. They know that if they can control this key and they can control AI, that they can control the world. But the challenge is that AI is lurking all around them and they can't see it. They can't control it. They know that it exists and they want to defeat it. And what makes it so scary is that it operates behind the scenes, manipulating life and and setting the world's course for death. Now, perhaps not AI, but it's certainly how evil operates in our world. It's calculating and sinister and it's working behind the scenes. We see the evidence of it all the time. We see greed. With people who search for ways to one-up the next person, their only motivation is to get more and to have more and to store up more. And if they believe that there's anything left over, they're going to lie and they're going to steal and they're going to concoct all kinds of things in order to get more. There's poverty. We're in one of the world's richest countries and we have billionaires within miles of those who have no home. There's food deserts. And there's people dying from hunger daily. There's power issues. Countries invade other countries over land and resources without, con- without concern over the people who will serve as collateral damage. When missiles are launched and bombs are dropped, we could go on mentioning all the evil, the, the violence and the mass shootings and the racism and the sexism, and there's so many other things. And that's just the global scale when we think about our personal lives. There's pride, right, that that prevents us from forgiving others. There's low self-esteem that demands that we have titles and accolades to fill that inner void. There's jealousy that causes conflict and divisions in the churches and in our families and in our communities. We see evil all around us, and oftentimes we focus on the perpetrator of the evil rather than considering that there is another entity at work in the background. That's what we see in Mission Impossible, but that's also what we learn is true for our world as well. Evil is all around us and is real, but praise God, there is one who is greater and has empowered us and equipped us to be victorious over even the evil in our lives. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking at verses 10 through 18. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. This is Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus and to a people who understand evil at work around them. You see, Ephesus was a center of witchcraft. It was the center of spiritual oppression. So when Paul is talking to these people, he's talking to a group of Jews and Gentiles who have now been united, reconciled under Jesus Christ, and he says to them, yes, there is evil in the world, but Christ has been given power and authority over it. And those of us who are living this new life in Christ It demands that we stand in the power of Jesus against the forces of evil. This is a word not just for the Ephesian church 2,000 years ago. This is a word for us today because our world, too, is filled with evil. And so the question before us is, how do we remain victorious in a world filled with evil? How do we remain victorious in a world filled with evil? To have victory in a world filled with evil, we must first understand the enemy. Understand our enemy. Satan is our eternal enemy. Satan tries to do all he can to turn us from God into a life of sin. And we must constantly battle against that. The enemy is after us before we become a Christian. He's trying to keep us away from God. Before Christ, we operate under his authority and under his rule. He doesn't have to fight with us that much because we already belong to him. But when we become a Christian, that's when the real battle begins. Satan wants us back. But if we don't know or we don't acknowledge or we don't pay attention or take seriously the work of the enemy, we run the risk of defeat simply because we just don't even bother to resist it. The Christian life is a daily spiritual struggle. We can't be passive Christians because our enemy is not passive. But God has given us what we need to win. And first among that is understanding our opponent. Because our enemy is a spiritual enemy. It's not a physical enemy. It's not flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle. Our scripture is clear in Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What does this mean? It means that our true enemy is not the person standing in front of us. It is the spiritual entity at work inside of them. I'm not at war with you. I'm at war with the enemy that's working inside of you. Have you ever been, let's not even talk about other people, let's talk about ourselves right now. Have you ever been so angry? So angry, maybe you're, you're yelling and screaming at someone. Maybe you hit something. God forbid you hit someone. Have you ever been that angry? And then when you think back on that moment, you ask yourself, who was that person? Who was that? we let the enemy control us. Rather than operate in patience or self-control, that's the fruit of the Spirit, we operate it in rage and in anger, that is the fruit of the flesh. We too can be used by the enemy, and so can others. And so we must constantly fight this spiritual battle so that we're not used by him, nor are we defeated by him. The physical beings, the the flesh and blood, they're just a cover-up. They're just a ruse hiding behind the true enemy. And where we go wrong is that we seek to attack the person and not the true enemy behind it. The enemy uses people to fulfill its mission. You see, if we watch TV, we watch the movies, we think Satan is this like red um, demon with a pitchfork and horns. That's not how the enemy works. That's too obvious. The enemy uses people. In Mission Impossible, we see this with the entity. We never see AI. It lives within computers and operating systems and the Internet. But it does manifest in the world in Gabriel. Gabriel works for the entity. He's called the Black Messiah. He's called the entity's messenger. And his mission is to gain access to the two parts of the key so that he can control the world and destroy the world. And along the way, he wants to kill Ethan and everyone else connected to Ethan. He's ruthless and he's sinister and he's an agent of the entity. But if he focuses, if Ethan is to focus only on Gabriel, he'll miss that the actual enemy is the entity. You see, Gabriel in many ways, is, 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 he's expendable. If Ethan were to kill the entity, the entity just gets somebody else. In the movie, we see the white widow. She's already working for him. It is the entity maneuvering behind the scenes and manipulating people in order to destroy us. And we see our enemy, Satan, do the same thing. The Bible tells us how Satan entered Judas. Look at Luke Chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to, rid, to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Satan went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Satan used the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and Judas to kill Jesus. He will use people to cause destruction. The Bible, it makes it clear that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's its aim. And we experience that same mission when we're attacked. Maybe it comes from our coworkers or our bosses. Maybe it comes from a jealous neighbor. Maybe it comes from a stranger. Maybe it even comes from somebody in your family. We see it in our systems, like the criminal justice system, which claims to be fair and just but consistently executes innocent people. We see it in our political system that seeks to suppress voter participation. But we have to be mature enough to see that the person in front of us, whether it's an an individual or whether it's someone representing a system, that person is not our enemy. The enemy is what is at work behind them. The enemy is the rulers, the authorities representing a system. When you're going through something, when you feel like someone is attacking you, when you see broken systems all around you, ask yourself, what is really at work here? Or rather, who is really at work here? And yes, sometimes it's the consequence of our own sins. Sometimes we have set ourselves up for failure. But sometimes it's not what we've done. And we need to think spiritually about those things that are manifesting physically. We need to understand that the enemy doesn't just use people, but the enemy is a master manipulator, an imitator. The enemy wants power, and so it it, it wants to imitate the true source of power, which is God. Remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness? In the last test, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter four, Verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him, meaning Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan wanted Jesus to believe that Satan had power and control over the world, and as a result. Satan wanted Jesus to think that he could give him that power. He wanted Jesus to worship him. The enemy wanted the worship that only belongs to God. The enemy wanted power and authority that only belongs to God. He wants our devotion, and he wants us to be under his control. In the movie, AI seeks to imitate God in so many ways. It it claimed to have all knowledge. We would call that omniscient. It had calculated all the possible outcomes in any situation to predict what might happen. Given its calculus, it claimed to be in full control. It it claimed to be what we would call omnipotent. It would determine outcomes, and it had a plan for all of the possibilities. It sought to be powerful. And because it controlled the internet, and could manipulate computerized systems, it believed that it could control the world. At one point, the character Luther, he tells Ethan, he says, look, I need to go into analog, because if I stay out in this digital world, we can be hacked. The entity thought it was sovereign. The enemy wants to be in control. Think about how it works with us. God is love, but the enemy uses abusive relationships to imitate love. God is just, but the enemy uses legalism and race-baiting to imitate justice. God is faithful, but the enemy uses blind loyalty and lies and control to gain devotion. What in your life is imitating God. What in your life wants to take the place of God? Don't be naive about these things. The Bible tells us that we need to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. We've got to understand how the enemy works. And to have victory over the enemy, first, we must understand how the enemy works, and second, we must stand in truth. Stand in truth. God has provided us with all that we need to overcome the enemy in our lives. He has provided us his power and he has provided us his armor. But because this is a spiritual battle, we need spiritual armor. Our enemies, are they're everywhere. But Paul describes what God has given us in terms of the armor that the Roman soldiers would wear. He says there are some things that we must put on. We need to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the gospel of peace. He says we must take up and carry the shields of faith, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul says God gives us all of these these things, and he says that we must pray. These are all spiritual weapons because we're in a spiritual fight. And we have to consciously put these things on. We've got to learn to stay ready so that we never have to get ready. God has already won the battle and we are guaranteed the victory. We just have to do a little fighting along the way. And so today we're gonna just highlight two things, two of these spiritual weapons that God gives us. So after understanding the enemy, we must stand in truth. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Wearing a belt in the military, was a sign that you were ready for battle. It is our knowledge of the truth that prepares us for the battle ahead of us. We can't be deceived by the enemy if we know the truth. The truth that Paul speaks about is the truth of Jesus, the truth of God's word. In the movie, one of the major concerns about the enemy is its ability to digitally manipulate information. It can crack all these top-secret codes. It can get into nuclear codes. It can, uh, it can feign people's voices and infiltrate all kinds of systems, like security and GPS. It can make people invisible, and it can manipulate reality. And when the top U.S. officials realize that truth is vanishing, they realize that they have stepped into a world of lies that they don't understand. They and those around them recognize that whoever controls AI controls the truth. Because in the movie, truth is relative. It's dictated by who has power and control. Do you remember that scene where where, where Gabriel is trailing Ethan in the airport? But Ethan never sees him because he's invisible. In the movie, truth is relative. And relative truth is a lie. Even in our world, truth seems to be elusive or relative. Many people believe that the media controls what's considered truth. People make claims about, about fake news all the time. No one knows what to believe or who to believe. Anyone can make a claim and throw it up on the internet and say that it's the truth. But how do we know the truth? We have to look at the source. Do you guys remember writing papers when you were in, I don't know, high school, college, grad school, right? We wrote all these essays, all these research papers. And we all know that when we write a paper and we're going to quote someone or something and use it as a reference, we need a credible source. I remember working with high school students before I came to Metro full time. And I used to tell them all the time, you can't go to Wikipedia. That's not a credible source. Anybody can put anything up on Wikipedia. You have to check your sources. Your sources must be credible. Who is the source of what you believe? Is it God or is it the enemy? Because the enemy is a liar. Jesus tells us that when the enemy lies, he speaks his native language because he's the father of lies. Anything that he says is contradictory to the word of God. And do you know how sinister the the enemy is? He will even try to use God's word against us. Think back to Jesus' encounter with the devil in the wilderness. The enemy uses God's word. The enemy knows God's word, but he twists it and he distorts it. From that first encounter with Adam and Eve to Jesus, and even now, the enemy wants us to question God and to question God's word. Anyone can recite words of the Bible, but do you know the heart of the author? In the movie, the key is useless unless you understood exactly how to use it. It's not enough that someone knows God's word, but it's got to be applied according to the spirit of the author. If we are to stand against the enemy, we must know God's word and know his heart. Because the enemy, the enemy will make you believe that you should stay in an abusive marriage, that, that love is painful and demeaning because it'll say, well, God hates divorce. But God also says that you are made in his image, that you are his beloved child, and that you were bought with a price. The enemy will make you think that, 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 the, that God approves of slavery, and that even in 2023, we need to figure out ways to justify slavery in this country by trying to teach our children that there was a benefit to the enslaved. But God has always sent a deliverer for his people who are oppressed. And the word of God says that whom the sun sets free is free indeed The enemy will have you believe that your past and that your sins were were so bad that God can't handle it. But God says that as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. The enemy will have you believe that you have no power. But God's word says that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Standing in truth means that you tell the truth, that you live according to God's truth. It means that you fact check every thought that you have in your mind against God's word. Second Corinthians 10, 5 says it this way. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Just because someone says something, just because you think something, it doesn't make it true. You've got to ask yourself, does this align with God's word? That's how we stand in truth, because the enemy will want us to shrink back. It'll want us to to give up. But we have to stand on God's truth. And in a world where so many people are telling lies, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. So, to be victorious over evil in this world, we need to operate in, we need to stand in truth and we need to operate in righteousness. Operate in righteousness. Paul tells us that if we want to have victory over evil in this world, we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is the same part of the armor that the prophet Isaiah says that that God wears when he comes to save Israel. The breastplate was normally made of bronze on the soldiers, and it protected the heart and the vital organs. It was made with these loops and these buckles that attach to the belt. And just like the the belt and the breastplate go hand in hand, so does truth and righteousness. Paul is reminding us to put on Christ's righteousness. When Jesus died, we got his righteousness. And so we're able to stand purely before the enemy. Christ's righteousness protects our heart and our soul from evil. It protects us from self-righteousness because we know that we can't do anything without God. We can't do it on our own. The Bible tells us to seek after it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This means that we are always wondering how to do God's will. We're striving to do God's will. We want our lives to be in line with God and move in that direction. We want to be obedient to him. Because through obedience, we are conformed into the image of God. And sometimes, when sin gets in the way, it makes our breastplate weakened. We're no longer able to tell right from wrong. And so to be victorious, we've got to aim to be like Christ. We have to aim to do things God's way. In the movie, Ethan is faced on so many occasions with trying to figure out the right thing to do or the good thing to do. He thinks he's doing the right thing, yet those closest to him often end up killed or drawn into IMF. At one point, he realizes that the two women around him, one of them is going to end up dying, and there's nothing he can do to save them. There's no good here. Even when he has good intentions, he has to be reminded of his objective. Is it to kill the entity or is it to try and get vengeance against Gabriel? His motives are not entirely pure. How often do you ask yourself if what you are doing pleases God? How often do you ask God, how do you want me to do this? Not just, God, can you bless what I've already done? To operate in righteousness is to seek God's way first and to do it. It's to acknowledge him, as the psalmist says, in all our ways and let him direct our path. Righteousness is not an easy road, but it's a faithful road. And it allows you to stand with integrity and faith. Before others. This past Tuesday, Steve, our executive pastor, he led our staff meeting and he talked about leadership. And then Steve, he, um, he had us read this scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3. Galatians, excuse me, Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. He said, and, and it says here, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? The verse is speaking about our tendency as Christians at times to become lackadaisical with our faith. You know, you know how it goes in the beginning, like we're all about God. And then we kind of let it slide. We kind of let go. Steve asked each one of us to consider what we had once been so reliant for in our lives in the beginning. And now that we've just kind of let lay by the side. And I had to admit that there were times, there was a time when I confessed my sins to God every night. I'd be on my knees in tears. And then I stopped doing it. It just somehow kind of faded away. And when I thought about it more and more, I realized that even sometimes in ministry, that I think, oh, well, I'm capable of doing this. And so I don't always go to God when I'm thinking about how to lead um, our Jack ministry. And I had to confess that that was wrong and I had to get back online. Maybe the same is true for you. You prayed and you pleaded for God to get you that job. But once you got that job, you were like, I got it now, God, I don't need you anymore. You prayed when you first got married, you and your spouse, you prayed, but you're five years in and you're like, we got it. We got it. You don't pray for your marriage anymore. You prayed for, for God to put you in some leadership position or, or maybe somebody put you in it and you were like, God, I don't know what to do. Help me, help me, help me. And now you feel like you got it. You don't need him anymore. Does it sound true for anybody? The sad thing is that that, that, that is unrighteousness because righteousness acknowledges That even if you know how to do something in the flesh, even if you are capable of it, you still need the Holy Spirit. We always need the Holy Spirit. Do you remember those scenes in Mission Impossible where Ethan has to rely on Luther and Benji to help him navigate situations? Remember when he's in the airport? And they're speaking in his ear. Remember the famous motorcycle jump scene? Ethan is listening to Luther and Benji guide him. And that's how attuned we must be to the Holy Spirit. That's how much we have to rely on God to guide us and direct us. Because unlike the movie, the goal isn't just to get things done, but to do things God's way. And we do that through prayer. In fact, none of this happens. No spiritual battle is won without prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. If we want to be victorious against the enemy, it's never going to be with guns and fists, it's always going to be with prayer. The fourth and final way to gain victory over evil is through prayer. We must pray. So this Mission Impossible movie, so I went to see it, and I just was not expecting it to be so relevant to 2023, right? And we all know that like Tom Cruise is—he's going to do this summer blockbuster, right? And we're all going to spend all this money, and we're all going to go back to the movies. But I didn't expect the storyline to be about AI. And as people of faith, we got to start thinking to ourselves, what is the role of AI in our lives and within the church? What are our ethical obligations? How does AI help us? How does AI hurt us? And I'm still trying to figure all this out. So if you have thoughts, please let me know. But this week, I saw this article about this app that is, that's been developed. And it's an app that allows you to text with Jesus. Have you seen this? It uses chat GPT functionality. And so you as the user, you type in questions and AI will respond as if it's Jesus. Now, my first thought was that this app is going to ruin people's prayer lives. Why pray and seek a relationship with God where you can just type it in the chat? It's gimmicky, but it can be dangerous if we begin replacing our relationship with just words. AI cannot replace the Spirit of God. Can God use it to help people? Absolutely. Should we seek after an app to replace prayer and wrestling with God? Never. Because our enemy will only be defeated if we pray. We need to pray always. Prayer is so crucial to our victory over Satan that Jesus actually prays for us. He says, God, don't take them out of the world. Just protect them from the evil one. Jesus tells Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And if Jesus had to pray for us, we know we need to pray for ourselves. Prayer allows us to know God's truth, to apply it correctly to our lives, and to know God's ways and his will for our lives. It's through prayer that we gain the strength to stand before the enemy. Paul tells us to be strong and to stand in God's mighty power. And the only way to do that is through prayer. We, we know we live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-filled world, and the enemy has way more power and control than it should. But it's not absolute power, and it's not absolute control. God is still in control. God is the only almighty, all-powerful one, and he has equipped us and empowered us to overcome this world and the enemy. God's word is true when he says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world." We are victorious, and and we are Christians, and and we don't stick our head in the sands. We stand in truth, and we operate in righteousness, and we pray in the Spirit. We stand strong and powerful in the Lord because God's power is not just any power. It's death-defying power. The beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, Paul says this, God put his power to work in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age and the age to come. But here's the thing. The same power that, rose, that raised Jesus from the dead is at work inside of us. It's in work at, inside of each one of us. God has given us the power to be victorious over those things that seek to bombard us, that seek to attack us in our lives. And our fights, our weapons against it, are to stand in truth, to operate in righteousness, and to be vigilant in praying in the Spirit. Let us pray. God, we are so grateful that in the end you win. God, we're so grateful that you always are victorious. And we are your children, which means that we are victorious too. I don't know what battles my brothers and my sisters are fighting. I don't know what's happening at home. I don't know what's happening at work. I don't know what's happening in their neighborhoods. I know what's happening in the world. The enemy comes after us in all directions, on all sides. But you, you, God, you cover us. And you have equipped us to stand firm. And so, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we might understand how the enemy works. That we might stand in your truth, God, and not allow the enemy to fill us with lies. That we might operate in righteousness, now, uh, God, seeking after your will for our lives. And that always, God, we would be vigilant in prayer for ourselves, and for those around us, God. God, we thank you and we honor you today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.